Hi, everyone. You're listening to Who I Met Today, and I'm your host, Pam Lamp. I'm all about doing one tiny new thing every single day. And on this podcast, I invite you to come along with me and discover something new through conversations with people from all walks of life. I hope you enjoy listening to these interviews and exploring new territory with me. For more people stories and episodes, please visit my website, whoimettoday.com. My guest today is Erica Owen. Erica is the author of two books and a writer for a number of magazines. A contributing author to Voters Essential Iceland Guidebook, Erica is an expert on all things Iceland. Erica, welcome to Who I Met Today. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Well, I'm excited to talk about Iceland and what you're doing now. First of all, congratulations on your marriage. Thank you so much. It was a so much fun. Speaking of Iceland, really got to see the worst rain that the country could throw at us on our wedding day. <laughs> oh, why did you choose Iceland to get married? It's a place where we both feel really grounded. And, you know, we didn't want to have a big event with a ton of people. It was just us and four of our friends who lived there. So it felt perfectly quiet and peaceful, which those were the two vibes we were going for. Sounds wonderful. How many mm-hmm. times have you been to Iceland? So I'm leaving on another trip and it will be my 11th visit to the country. Oh, my gosh. Well, we want to go. We've talked about it for several years now. And I know that you are the utmost authority on Iceland and can offer some great recommendations and suggestions. But before we do that, can you give listeners a cocktail version of your background and what you do? Yeah, of course. So I'm based in Brooklyn. I'm a writer and editor audience development person. That's really just content strategy. So when you see magazines on social media doing big packages, I like to come up with the campaigns and the strategies behind those. You know, spent a lot of time working at Architectural Digest, Bon Appetit, Epicurious, Travel and Leisure. And now I'm kind of out on my own, doing my own thing, working on a bunch of different stuff. And do you pitch stories for magazines to run or do they approach you with ideas that they want you to write about? It's a really good mix of both. I do get a lot of people reaching out about Iceland in particular, and a lot of them I will end up taking. Sometimes I will push, you know, editors toward people who live in the country. I unfortunately do not live there. And I think that some people there are better suited for knowing some of the insidery things that I don't necessarily get to experience as often, but it's been a really good mix. So Iceland, they're coming to me. Other things, travel, design, I'm coming to them. (laughs) And how did you get involved in the design arena? I know I saw an article recently about the best couches or the best Mm. sectionals. Yeah. So my first job in New York City was actually at a website called Core 77, which was this amazing, it was a very small team putting together interviews, articles about industrial design, product design, graphic design. And so that I discovered for myself that was a topic I really loved, even though I ventured more professionally toward travel editing and writing. It's something I've always kept going on the side. So, you know, I do a lot of writing for GQ around shopping and same for Architectural Digest. And I just find it really fun. You know, it's window shopping. It's figuring out as much about my own taste through researching these stories. Well, and besides that, you've had time to write two books. Oh, yeah. Yeah, those were those were big assignments. <laughs> the first one is called The Art of Flanoring, and it is all about the act of wandering without intent, which 
sounds simple. It is not a simple thing to do. The brain always wants to figure out where you're going, what your next activity is. So the book really dives into strategies for taking the brain work out of it and just being the ultimate wallflower, no matter where you are, somewhere familiar, somewhere new to you. So that was a really fun project and a lot of great research for me on trips, you know, going out and just wandering and not planning which museum I'm going to see um, or, you know, where I'm going to have dinner that night. And then the second one, very, very different. It's called Lawbreaking Ladies. It is all about 50 women throughout history who either broke societal law, broke criminal law from bootleggers, serial killers, brothel owners, pirates. The pirate section was my favorite. And it just really digs into who these women were and trying to connect dots when you know, there's not really newspaper articles or research briefs on these people. So it was a huge research assignment. Well, I enjoyed both books. And I always think of you when I'm on a trip to a new city, because one of your pieces of advice in The Art of Flaneuring was that you should always save a half a day or a day during a trip and just flaneur and just wonder which, of course, I knew nothing about flannering until I read your book. And I think that's a fun thing to do and a great piece of advice. So on to Iceland. Mm-hmm. When is the best time to go? And where would one fly into? Yeah, well, it's funny because if you ask me the best time to go, I would pick personally the middle of winter. I've heard that New Year's Eve, I have yet to be there for New Year's Eve, is the most incredible display of fireworks, bonfires, just parties, just people getting together and having a good time. But it's not what I tell most people. I do think that the midnight sun is such a special thing to witness for yourself. And that's when in the middle of the summer, when I was there in June of this year, the sun sets for maybe an hour and a half at 2 a.m. And even then, it's almost like sunrise, like a very long sunrise. It's beautiful. People go for the northern lights. I understand that. I think those are incredible as well. But the midnight sun is just, it reminds you that you are not in control (laughs) what's going on around you. And that was a backdrop for your wedding too, right? So we actually got married at noon, which we, (laughs) we were kicking ourselves. We're like, we should have done it at midnight. What are we thinking? But uh, we did have friends. It was on a Tuesday and we did not want them to have to (laughs) miss a couple days of work. Go to the wedding at 2 a.m. Right, right, right. Good idea though. And okay, two questions. Where would you fly into? And if one were to go for New Year's Eve, what would the weather be like then? Yeah. So when you fly in, you're almost always going to fly into Keflavik International Airport, which is actually a 45-minute drive from Reykjavik, which I don't know that everyone realizes when they're going for the first time. And usually flights from the U.S. are coming in right away in the morning at 6 a.m. So it's always something to consider. I recommend going to Blue Lagoon first so you can shower, have a hot spring soak, do that kind of thing. And if you're going to go for New Year's Eve, you have to expect that it is going to be cold and wet. It's not going to be the coldest the country sees. That comes more in February, but you're going to be hitting, you know, very low 40s, high 30s, sometimes lower depending on wind chill, and it will likely rain or snow multiple times throughout your trip every day. Okay. (laughs) We'll concentrate on the summer then. So, (laughs) So let's say we have three or four days, and I know you're going to say that's not enough, (laughs) But with work responsibilities, let's just say three or four days, what are the must-see sites? Now, you mentioned the Blue Lagoon. Yeah. 
when I think about this, there are a couple of routes you can take. My favorite one is to go up toward Snaefulness Peninsula, which I am probably saying that incorrectly, and I apologize to anybody listening who speaks Icelandic, but it is, um, it's about a two hour drive from Reykjavik. It's north, northwest, and it is this beautiful peninsula that's full of waterfalls. You know, you have volcanic craters. You can go inside of a volcanic magma chamber, not active, of course. They have lava tunnels you can experience. It's just this huge array of natural formations in a very small amount of space. And you can see all of it, I would say, if you're there. I would say do a day in Reykjavik, two days up in the peninsula, come back to Reykjavik for your last day. I think it gives you a good balance of city and, you know, just feeling like you're the only person in the world. Are there any other must-see spots? Oh, yeah. Over in that area, you have a Budir Kirkja, which is um, the Black church. It is this just iconic church that's a quick walk from a cliffside. And the cliffs in the back, they're worth a hike over because they're just filled with all of this bird life. Kirkjufell is another mountain that just has a very interesting shape. I don't know how to describe it other than it is unlike any mountain I've seen. It's relatively small. And if you do end up hiking to the top, which you'll want to guide if you do that, it is quite steep. There are fossils up at the top that you can see. It's just kind of a cool element to add to it as well. And then if you look up just the lava tunnels, there are lava tunnels that are very cool to walk through. You have to go through with a guide, but definitely worth it. It's something you can really only do in a couple places around the world. What is a lava tunnel? Yeah, so the lava tunnels, they are essentially where all of the magma would flow through before hitting the um, top of the soil or, you know, shooting out of the ground. So they are just very old. I wouldn't say ancient because Iceland is technically one of the youngest places on the planet, which is pretty wild to think about sometimes. Yeah, so you're you're walking through this area where very, very hot magma was just pummeling through at one point in time to create more earth. How did you come to be such an Iceland enthusiast? It started, I have a college friend who I love traveling with her. She's one of my closest friends. And she texted me and said, hey, do you want to go to Iceland with me? There is a flight deal. And this was a long time ago, probably close to 10 years. And I had never thought about Iceland outside of, you know, oh, that is a place that exists. So of course I jumped on it. I fell in love with the feeling it gave me living in New York, you always feel like you're the center of the universe. And I really like being reminded that I'm not. You're going to a country where the weather is just going to do what it wants and people, instead of fighting it, they live with it. The landscapes are so massive and old and just really breathtaking. And I found that it was just this necessary balance that I was seeking in my life. And from there, I did all of the research I could about the history, the Icelandic saga stories, the food, the, you know, first settlers, and just became really, just fell in love with this culture and this community and, you know, this small island. You mentioned the weather. Does it rain a lot? I'm pretty sure that every time that I've gone, it has rained at least a little bit every single day that I've been there, which... When you hear that, when I think of rain in New York, it's downpours. I'm like, oh, that's going to ruin my day. But there it might be five minutes of rain and then there's beautiful sun. It could be a full day, could be a full week of rain. So, yeah, you definitely need to expect that you are going to see some rain (laughs) every day of your trip. Expect the worst and perhaps it won't be quite as bad as you think. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about accommodations. Mm -hmm. 
Where do you like to stay or where would you suggest I stay? I like to stay. I like to go to a different hotel every time I visit. And a lot of that is research-based so I can know about the experience to write about it, you know, to suggest it to other people. I like to suggest that people take a look at Airbnbs, especially if you're staying outside of Reykjavik or one of the larger cities. I think that these family-run inns and bed and breakfasts, they're just so cozy and you get to meet people, you know, families who know the area so well through doing that. I still text with one person who I rented an Airbnb from, what was this, probably six years ago. And when he comes to New York, he asks for pizza recommendations. So I think it's a beautiful way, whether it's an Airbnb or a bed and breakfast, to be able to connect with people. And immerse yourself into the the local lifestyle. Mm-hmm. You mentioned birds. Do you see any other wildlife when you're hiking? Yes, I actually saw an Arctic fox for the first time in June. And I was oh, running. I love it. It was, I have never seen one before. I've always wanted to. And they're just very elusive. And we were driving between Akureyri, which is in the north, toward Husavik. And all of a sudden, I saw this brown little creature hop out in the road. And I freaked. I was driving. I was like, oh, my gosh. And then I realized, oh, Arctic fox, they are brown in the summertime because they don't need to camouflage with the snow. So that was a huge C for me. I was very excited. Puffins. Puffins are another one that are really, it's just very cool to be around them. There's a place in the Northwest. It's called Drangi Island that you can take a boat tour. There's one tour operator that can take you there. And there are just hundreds of puffins. If you go, I think July is high time to see them. I bet that's beautiful. It's really, it's beautiful. It's loud. It's a very steep hike up a cliff to get there. So I'm kind of glad I didn't know about that before taking it on. Um, (laughs) And it's stunning. It's also a great place for spotting whales as they pass through. Summertime is a good time for that as well. Now let's talk about the food. Hmm. This is one of the things that my husband is a little concerned about (laughs) because food is very important to him. What's the food like? So a lot of people, they'll talk about Puffin, the whale steak, the fermented shark, which, yes, those were all things that I think culturally and historically, you know, it's an island, it's an Arctic island in the middle of the ocean. So there was a lot of things that they had to do to keep everyone fed. Fermented shark is the one that comes to mind that I've had and I will never have again. That bad? It smells worse than it tastes. It's the smell that hits you and it is stuck with you for quite a while. The taste is really just, it's more rubbery than anything, but it doesn't matter where you are in the restaurant. If someone ordered it, everybody can smell it. (laughs) Is this this something that people make in their homes or is it strictly a restaurant dish? It's not a modern ingredient or thing that people will make. It's definitely more so at restaurants. I do believe that there are some of the um, older generations who will still prepare it And they might use it for more traditional get-togethers and whatnot. But it's not something that, you know, when we go visit our friends, they don't have it in their fridge or anything like that. Okay. Yeah. What do you like? What types of cuisine do you like there? I think that the individual ingredients are really interesting. So cloudberries and um, bilberries, the, the berries that they have are fascinating and how they incorporate it into mainly desserts. I'm very much a sweet person. Love, Me love too. <laughs> so I think that is interesting. I also, everybody eats skir, which is a type of, I won't call it yogurt because it is different, but it is very similar to a Greek yogurt in texture. 
and in taste. Siggy's is one that we see in grocery stores, you know, Icelandic provisions here in the U.S. And so they do a lot with that, whether it's making skier butter, which is just a creamier version of butter or all kinds of desserts. You know, you will find things like reindeer steak on menus, but that's not, it's not huge. It's not all over the place. It's a lot of fish pies. Plotfisker is like a traditional fish dish that you'll see often. A lot of cod. I really do love the seafood there. Mm-hmm. What types of activities do you like to do? I read somewhere that you went snorkeling in the mm-hmm. very, very freezing water. Yes. That is one of my all-time top moments of being a human, I think, was that <laughs> experience. I like to do something that freaks me out a little bit every time I travel. Just I think it adds a layer of excitement around a trip. Oh, and- good for you. I don't do it every time, but I if there's an opportunity, like would I zip line somewhere? Probably. Yes. Is it terrifying? Yes. I don't don't want to do it, but I'll do it. Snorkeling for me, I have a deep respect for the ocean. I am terrified of deep water. If I can't see the bottom, I don't know what's going on. And it it's just unlocks something in my soul that terrifies me. So the first trip that I went on with my friend Jess from college, we um found this tour company that will take you snorkeling in the Silfra Fisher. So essentially you're in a Thingvellir National Park, which is about 40 minutes from Reykjavik. There are two tectonic plates that are moving away from each other very slowly, a couple centimeters a year. And you can snorkel through the little canal that it creates. You can also go scuba diving as well. I did not do that. And there is no plant life and there is no wildlife because the water is so cold. And you are in a dry suit. So you're just floating at the very top, witnessing this giant crystal clear crack in the earth. (laughs) It's very... Wow. Yeah. So that's a favorite activity. I love the hot spring culture. I think it is just a beautiful way to gather with the community. Secret Lagoon is a good one. That's close to Fludir. It's about, I believe, an hour and a half from Reykjavik. And also Sky Lagoon is a really beautiful new one in Reykjavik. I say new, I think it opened early 2022 or late 2021. It's just stunning views and just beautifully designed. Erica, how expensive is a trip to Iceland? It is expensive. I like to compare it to, I live in New York City. You know, you're going to, if you go out and have a dinner, you can expect a nice dinner, two people, you're going to pay a hundred bucks. It's the same kind of expectation in Reykjavik. The smaller towns, it's a little less expensive, but the spot that surprised me the most the first time I went was how expensive a glass of wine, a beer, a cocktail could be. You know, we're talking like $20 for a gin and tonic is pretty basic. And, you know, a pint of beer, easily, you know, $15. There are happy hours, but it's a pretty expensive place in terms of daily costs to visit. And when do you plan to go there again? I am leaving tomorrow for a trip to go interview some Icelandic designers spanning fashion, architecture, furniture, all focused in sustainability spaces. So doing a whirlwind four-day trip to go meet some people. (laughs) And your husband is sitting this one out or is he going with you? No, he is sitting it out. It's funny. He is not as enthusiastic about travel as I am. So I do 90% of my traveling on my own or with friends, family. So he thought I was done traveling for the year and turns out I'm not. (laughs) I 
thought of something else I wanted to ask you. You had somewhere in one of the stories that you'd written for a magazine mentioned an Icelandic shampoo that you fell in love with. Yes. This actually ties really well into the the snorkeling story because I collect experiences when I travel, whether they're conquering fears or attempting to, but I also really try to pay attention to my other senses when I'm traveling. In New York, I am just bombarded with smells, sounds, sights constantly, and it, it makes me a bit numb. So I like to really focus on those when I'm traveling. When I was snorkeling for the first time at Silver Fisher, and I've done it twice, I was so cold afterwards. It was raining. I just remember my eyelashes were like a little bit frozen. So excited to get back to the hotel that my friend and I were staying at. And when we got there, I took the hottest shower I could. And there were these, it was a brand of shampoo called Sole. And the smell of it just stuck with me. It was just this very fresh, it's made with like Arctic thyme and like all of these other local ingredients it just, it stuck with me. It did something to my brain and I was never able to, you know, get rid of it. Now, whenever I smell that, it immediately calms me. So I read a story from Vogue about the time I found a flight deal that was cheaper than the um, shipping cost. For... Oh, you you stocked up on the shampoo. I did. It was funny. It was, of course, I was looking for a reason to visit again. And another one of my friends was like, oh, I'll go with you. So we we went and I stocked up on the shampoo. It's kind of a joke now. My family loves to tease me about it. I love that. Yeah. Do you have a travel destination on your bucket list? Oh, yeah. Greenland has been on my list for a long time. I think it's because going to Iceland, we fly right over it. And I love peeking out the airplane window and making up stories about what's happening down there. So Greenland, probably Svalbard as well. Just very cold, remote places. There's a theme. <laughs> there is a theme. Yeah. Well, I always like to ask my guests about a new thing that they've done or discovered lately. And so do you have a new thing that you would like to share with listeners? Yeah. Since leaving, I left my full-time position job in February, and I've really been on a search to do more things with my hands and pull away from the screen more often. And my husband is studying Ikebana, the Japanese art of flower arranging. And he creates beautiful things. And I see, you know, the process for him and how calming it can be and how focused he is. So I am taking some classes with him, jumping in with him and his teacher to pick up some of the tactics and, you know, see how I like it so far. Oh, it's I like that. What type of flower arrangements do you do? Oh, so it's all based on very traditional forms, I guess you would call them. And they all have different names. I am very, very, very much a beginner. So I couldn't even tell you the many different kinds. But, you know, Joseph, my husband, has a book that breaks down all of the different types. And I think it's beautiful. You can look at it and then you read about how they're either supposed to mimic natural flower growth, like in a Zen garden or something. I just, I love how thoughtful each placement is. I think it's beautiful to stop and take the time to do that. That is lovely. Mm -hmm. Erica, thank you so much. I could talk to you about Iceland and other things all day. I really appreciate you coming on today. Of course. I want to do a reverse and interview you sometime. You, I would love to hear your thoughts on some of these things. <laughs> I'm game. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. Well, that's it for today's show. A huge thank you to Erica for joining me. If you enjoyed this episode, and I hope you did, I hope you'll listen to other episodes and spread the word about this new show. A huge thank you to Brian at Top Tier Audio for his advice and guidance. And thanks to you for tuning in. 
And remember, I'd love to hear from you if you discover a fun new thing. My email is pam at whoimettoday.com.